Welcome to the Learning That Sticks podcast. I'm Mark Williams from GiraffePad, the learning platform for learning journeys. In this podcast series, I'll be speaking with experts from the world of learning and development, exploring with them their different ideas, techniques, and methods for creating learning solutions that truly stick. In this episode, I have the pleasure of chatting with Rod Webb from Glasstap Limited, the company behind the Trainers Library. And we're going to explore in some detail the connection between engaging learning and engaging learners and what that means for retention of that learning and how sticky that might be. Rod, thank you so much for joining me. My, my pleasure. Very pleased to be here. Fabulous. So maybe as a, a sort of start of a 10, Rod, you could give us a bit of um, bit of background before we delve into the sticky stuff. If you could give us a bit of a background of your your career in learning development and, and how you've evolved to today and, and are running a business like the Trainers Library. Okay. Um, so my background, um, I actually started work for a high street bank. And within that bank, I progressed through a huge series of different roles, but I always had this passion for getting into training. Although in, in those days, I thought I wanted to get into personnel. And once in personnel, I discovered that's not what I wanted to do at all. I wanted to be in training and development. So um, my career in training and development started way back then, um, about 25 years ago, in fact. And um, I ended up being the manager of a training department across two huge call centers in Leeds and Harrogate, um, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And it was really where I began to explore what, what learning was about and what it meant to me. Um, what was interesting is when I learned to be a trainer, when I was trained to be a trainer, it was called instructional techniques, which sort of didn't gel quite with me because I was very interested even then about making training engaging and fun and, and much more than just telling people. Um, so from there... Um, I went back into um, an operational unit as a manager. And then um, in 2000, we just one day decided to start our own business. And we started as a traditional training consultancy. Um, and um, after a few years, I found that more and more of my clients were asking me to write materials that they could deliver internally through their own training teams. And that's really, I suppose, where the idea for Trainers Library evolved from. I was actually out riding on my horse one day um, thinking, I am really tired of living in hotels all week. I want to spend more time at home. And I really like the design. And more and more of my clients are asking me to do design. And I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if we could combine training, the idea of designing training with My Friends Reunited, which really dates me. Uh, um, from there, evolved this idea of Trainers Library. And I went back to the office and I suggested, look, what if we sold all of our copyrighted materials for an annual subscription? And people genuinely thought I was mad because it was like giving away everything that you'd created effectively for a very small price. But um, six weeks later, literally, we launched Trainers Library, the first version. And um, Trainers Library was launched in 2003. Um, Glasstap is now 21 years old. And Trainers Library will be 20 years old in two years' time. So it's been quite a journey. Yeah, extraordinary, really. That's amazing. And, and isn't it interesting from the starting point, as I speak to coaches, facilitators, trainers, so few of them set out in life to become involved in the world of learning, but somehow fall into it and then, and then progress like you have into running exceptional businesses in various different, various different streams. Yeah. So Rod, we obviously we're talking about sticky learning. Now you design learning material that other people use and 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 using all the various different guides that they might do, whether that be other 
external training consultancies or, or big internal L&D teams. Um, but we said we were going to really focus on that kind of connection between creating engaging learning, but not for the sake of it, for the idea that that helps with retention. So yeah. tell me a bit more about that. So I think for me, if I, if I go right back to my childhood, there was a particular teacher or several teachers um, that really inspired me, but one in particular. Um, he was my headmaster at my junior school, and he had this ability to make you want to learn, to make learning so incredible that you just had this passion to push yourself as well to do more and one of my passions back then still is creative writing and he would just have this way of encouraging you and wanting you to do more and develop and by making things really really fun and he was an incredibly creative person um I remember, for example, um, in one of the school pantomimes, playing a minor bird in Dick Whittington and having to sing um, whatever one, two, can, can do to the can, can song tune. And the, the point of that is that a lot of years, 50 years later, I can still remember every word of that poem. And that, for me, was really significant. You know, it's about the things that stick with us and why do those things stick with us and when I got into training one of my first jobs actually um, when I when I took over the department in Harrogate was one of the other departments wanted me to run some team building events in the evenings and they were going to be voluntary so people had to want to come along to these these learnings so for me I had to make the, the training fun um, and I remember one of the first exercises I wrote was a murder mystery upon which murder at Glastap Grange is no base. Um, but the point for me is, I think we've all been to training where the trainer has thrown in an energizer, which is enormous fun, but actually serves no value, has no link to the actual learning points. For me, it should always be that training has to be fun and engaging and take people away from the work environment, but it still has to be relevant. It still has to connect with them. And that's what's really important to me. I should get you to sing that song for me, singing it so well. In <laughs> <laughs> I could, and I nearly did. <laughs> that, that's, that's such a good example. You said that that stuck with you. You can actually recite it even now, mm. so many years later. Um, and it, what resonated with me listening there was what you also said about when you started out in, in your role as a trainer initially, it was called instructor-led training or instruction-led training, which is almost the opposite, isn't it? It's instructing someone to know how to do something rather than engaging with the fun of learning. Um, that's really quite critical. Now, something else that came into my mind when you were describing that is that if you're the facilitator... Um, you have a, a, a large degree of control about how engaging you can make that and you can really connect with your learners. I'm curious from, from your experience now that obviously you have, you have to find a way to build that into your design work to enable and encourage the facilitators to make it engaging and fun. How do you find that process? Um, so for me, um, the, the message I always give to trainers is there is a part of our brain called the hippocampus, which is responsible for filtering out all of the mundane and the ordinary stuff in our lives. And if you think about it, we are being bombarded all day long with sensations and experiences that are going on all around us, noises, distractions, and the brain just naturally goes, not interesting, not important, and filters all, the, all of that out. So the message for me is, is if our training is mundane and ordinary, so we have to make it extraordinary to make it. And for me, engagement is about fun. It's about 
that enjoyment of learning, but it also has to be emotional, I think. We have to attach, we have to get people emotionally engaged in learning. Now, this is actually quite different to what I was taught. I remember specifically in my very early days in training and development being told, we don't do feelings, we don't do beliefs, we focus on what you need to do, we focus on behaviour. And if people start doing the right things, then their beliefs will change. I fundamentally disagree with that. I think training, if we want to inspire people, we have to get them at emotional level. And that for me is really important in learning to make it fun, but make it emotional, get them emotionally engaged in that learning experience. 100%. And, and often my sense around that is that that almost happens before you're with them. You're, or you almost need to engineer that. And if you don't get the chance, it's the first thing you do in running that session. It's not something that you can almost trust that's going to happen through the course of the journey engage them early on with that and connect it really at a a heartfelt level Uh, and actually the learning process then whatever the context is that you're covering becomes relatively easy yeah do you do you fact when you're like the program people can buy from you and the, the the material they can design from you does it does that do you have to do you build in icebreakers or do you build in other stuff that emotionally connects people to so every, everything that we've created in Trains Library is in a modular format. So there are course modules and there are icebreakers and there are review activities and they're all separate and you can mix and match those to create a course. And the reason that we developed it in a modular way was so that people could create courses that are tailored to the needs of their organisation and tailored to the needs of their audience, those specific groups of learners. Even then, it's really important the way that you deliver that learning, facilitate that learning, that you connect with each individual. So it's really important to understand what's important to them. I think as trainers, too often we're guilty of spending lots of time developing and writing a course that we're really proud of and then we go in and deliver it and it's done from our agenda and not from the learner's agenda. It's really important that we understand what they want in order to connect our content to them. And so, for example, with our icebreakers, we always make sure that the icebreakers connect to a topic. They're not just a bit of fun on the side they're actually relevant and i think you know everything should connect together and connect to the audience as well it's really interesting i hear you use a phrase sometimes about learner-led uh, mm. solutions and how critical it is that they're the ones that are connected to this it's not just about your agenda so that just i'm going to go back to your childhood <laughs> and think about <laughs> you said that first play that you were involved in um that really connected with you. Now, if you if you can position, you imagine yourself back there and you think about all of the other children that were in your class or in that play taking part, were they all is equally connected? You know, did that teacher seem to have a way of connecting with everyone or was there just something about the way he set it up that genuinely connected with you? It's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult because I can only see that experience from my own perspective mm. and I can see that he connected very well with me. But I can also see that he was very, very clever at identifying people's strengths and what would connect with them. I can see that he put people into situations that worked for them. So I think looking at it as an adult and looking back, I can see that he did do that, that he did actually tailor the learning although we were all learning the same content, but he tailored it in a way that connected to individuals. Um, on, uh, yeah, he was very, very talented teacher. Because, I mean, that, that can be part of the challenge, isn't it? On, on the one hand, we can talk around the context or concept of learner-led and engaging individual learners. As a facilitator, if you've got 
a group of 15 people who could be all, all well, almost certainly will all have different motivations around that learning and, and different uh, sense of how important it is for them in their daily lives, whatever the context that might be. Um, it's almost, although we wouldn't want to give the excuse, it's understandable sometimes where a facilitator might just follow their agenda and, and hope, if you like, that they're going to hit one or two at that emotional level and and concede the rest. Uh, but obviously that then allows potentially 10, 12 of those 15 to to drift through. Exactly. And, and you, you've mentioned learner-led learning several times, and that really is absolutely critical to me. I mean, I passionately believe in experiential learning and people learning for themselves and having ownership of that learning. So a lot of the materials that we create... Um, so give you an example, in a traditional negotiation-based training, you might get people to do a role play. Now, the problem with role play is always demonstrate the behaviours they think you want to see. They're not behaving as themselves. So what we did is we created an exercise where four different tribes all land on an island at the same time, and they have to decide how they're going to divide that between them based on all their different needs in order to avoid any sort of conflict. So it's enormously fun. And what it does, it takes, takes people away from the work environment into an environment where they think they're playing, they're trying to work out what the needs of each other are, except they often don't. They actually start off by saying, I want this, um, which is actually where the learning learning comes from. But for me, that is about creating scenarios and putting people into situations where they discover what works and what doesn't work for themselves. And that's what I mean by learner-led learning. They're creating their own learning. So as a facilitator, all you have to do is facilitate the process by which they can identify their own outcomes. And that, that almost ensures it's going to connect with them. And again, listening to you and going back to your phrase of in your early days about being uh, taught as an instructor-led training. Uh, my sense sometimes is training courses, training programs, some trainers potentially um, rate themselves on their level of knowledge of the subject matter <clears throat> as opposed to potentially rating themselves on how good they are at understanding learning and, and understanding the needs of their learners and the process of learning that gets them to uh, whatever the outcomes might be at that point in time. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we all know that the best coaches don't have to be the best at the field in which they're coaching. And the same thing applies. But often trainers put themselves on this pedestal of having to be the expert in the room. And one of the things I talk about when I'm doing training the trainer is a credibility barrier, because often we can be quite relatively young, trying to train people with far more experience than us in the same field. You know, for example, you take a, a trainer in an organization training a group of senior managers, and you can almost envisage them sat there going, well, what do you know? I've been doing this for 25 years. If we take the approach of actually, we're going to create situations where you learn for yourself, and I'm just going to put you into those situations and facilitate the discussions, we take away that barrier. We stop the need to always be the expert with all the answers because we don't none of us do i learn all the time from other trainers and in this in, and that's what learning is about and, and the more we talk about this the more it reinforces in my mind how uh, whatever the program might be whatever the subject whoever it is whether it's senior managers first time employees on an induction program whatever the context of that is any learning program starts long before you get together in a room or on a virtual screen and and if you don't engage and connect with those individual learners 
long in advance so that you really understand what their motivations are so they also understand your role in their learning that you are not the guru who's going to tell them how to do something but actually you're going to help them explore their own capabilities mindset beliefs whatever that might be that bit has to happen long before you get together as a group or even you do it as a group initially but it's long before you actually get into the subject matter or the exercises or the games that you might be be running that's absolutely right. And, and ideally you do. You always, you know, you need to know what your learner's expectations, desires and wants are. And I think very often trainers do go into training a situation almost blind and they have to start from what we're here for and what, you know, that that makes it extra challenging. So I think you're absolutely right. You know, having a detailed understanding of what your learner's needs are before you even start the design actually is where it should be, you know, because you can actually create learning that works for them. I, I love your analogy of, of learning that play when you were at school because, of course, if you think if you sort of compare this, you, you won't have he won't have suddenly said right we're gonna we're gonna do a play and the play is happening next Friday so read read the read the script and then go and do it tomorrow at ten o'clock you know mm-hmm. he will have, he will have talked to you all about what roles you might want to play found the ones that are confident enough potentially to do the singing or the solo roles understood the different characters in there and how they fitted in with the play. So there'd been a lot of work before you really put it all together. Yeah. Almost the equivalent of workshop one, if you like. Absolutely. A huge amount of work and a huge amount of creativity as well. Mm. Because, you know, for example, whoever have seen Dick Whittington with a minor bird. I mean, it is just <laughs> and that's 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 an important point as well because the brain is designed to remember things that are peculiar and unusual and unexpected. So that was something again he was very, very clever at by by putting a minor bird in singing the can-can into Dick Whittington, you know, he created that that weirdness that meant it was going to stick. You know, with that, I, if I align that to learning, imagine you, get to go back to your example of a, a young, youngish trainer faced with a group of senior managers, if they haven't engaged with them in advance, understood the motivations and their recognition of what learning is like and all of that stuff we talk about, and then try and do something creative like that and, and dump something fairly odd and off the wall into that learning session, you imagine that's going to grate and not go well. So again, he was probably confident enough to bring the minor bird in because he'd already worked out what was important to all of you and how, how confident you were to deal with this. That You're absolutely right. To be honest, one of the biggest barriers I find to creative training and to making training sticky comes from the trainers because they go, oh, that's great for junior staff, but that wouldn't work with my senior managers. And they're terrified of using creative training. They're terrified of using engaging, sticky training. But the point that you have to remember is the way that we learn, the way the brain works doesn't change just because we get older. So if you can work with your people and set those expectations and let them know why you're delivering training and the way you're delivering and why it works and the principles behind it, then you're absolutely right. You need to get that engagement at an early at an early stage. And actually, you know, if, for example, any of our listeners are about to embark on a, on a, a career in, in training, facilitation and learning, um, you'd almost, I would feel that's lesson number one, isn't it? It's like your first priority is to understand how the brain works, how to enable people to learn, how to engage with people from different levels in your organisation or different levels of experience and seniority way before you have to master a particular subject matter. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I was just thinking to myself then, it's almost a difference between the idea of somebody being good at a job becoming the manager you know, when we when the person who was really good at securities, for example, at the bank, would then become the person who checked other people's work and then become the manager of the team. 
and that's almost the difference between the trainer who thinks, right, I'm the expert, so I can share my knowledge and experience to a leader. And the best trainers are actually leaders because they inspire and motivate and challenge people and get them to want to go on a journey. And, and I think that's it. And I think trainers have to remember that ultimately their role isn't just to impart knowledge. It's to be agents of change. It's to get people to want to do something different back in the workplace and to, you know, to change beliefs. It is really about achieving change. And, and that's, um, it sounds like a wild generalisation, but for a lot of us, that's always difficult, isn't it? To, 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 to want to change or to put the effort into making that change. And and getting someone to enjoy that process mm. and to embrace it and to be vulnerable as they go through that. You know, I'm picturing your room of senior managers that you're talking about. And the last thing they probably, and again, this is stereotyping slightly, but the last thing probably they want to do in front of each other is be vulnerable. But of course, you put them into that uh, game scenario you described as negotiating with each other around the resources on an island and their their competitive spirit will come out, their, you know, their beliefs, their skills. It'll be such yeah. a revealing exercise, far more useful than a, a PowerPoint presentation with the 10 principles of a successful negotiation discussed. <laughs> Absolutely right. And also those sorts of activities give you those light bulb moments. You know, people, one of the other barriers that trainers face is confirmation bias. Those senior managers will only, and again, a generalisation, listen to the bits they already agree with. You know, we've all done that. We've all been to presentations and we're sort of engaged with the bits of the presentation that confirm what we already think and what we already believe. By putting people through those sorts of unusual activities and creative training, sticky training, what we're actually doing is we're creating those light bulb moments where people go, oh, and just have that moment where they go, I hadn't thought of it that way before. And that, that again, that, that brings me back to the engagement very early on with the individual learners as well, because part of the reason why they have that confirmation bias is they genuinely, a lot of time people genuinely believe they already do this or they are already mm. very good at something or they might have results and performance that suggest they are capable in these areas. Um, and so engaging with them early to help them understand where they are in relation to what's required or what they require for themselves so you can then push and challenge them through that change process using games is critical because again it's possible to create even the most creative exercise but if someone is a hundred percent convinced that they don't need to be learning this and that resistant learner almost their barriers are up aren't they can i give you a really good example of that equal opportunities and diversity which is one of my favorite topics so typically people will arrive on an equal opportunities and diversity course with their arms folded going i just here because i've been standing it doesn't apply to me i'm not racist i don't have prejudice whatever you know it's just what a waste of my time and so one of the activities that we created is the witches of glen which is quite well known and it's been endorsed by show races and the red card and in it we simply read a fairy story and then we ask the participants a series of questions and ask them whether these statements are true or false. And for example, we will say things like, the princess is beautiful. And we go, yes, well, you never said anywhere in the story that she was beautiful, but everybody makes that assumption. Everybody assumes that the witch, because she's ugly and disfigured, poor love, is actually evil. So she's got enough to contend with being ugly and disfigured, but now she's evil on top of that. And you go through this and suddenly you see these light bulbs going on. People go realise, I have made all these assumptions about these characters based upon my past experiences, based upon all the stories I've been fed through my lives. And it makes people realise that actually we do have inbuilt prejudice. But the most extraordinary bit of this exercise is you go all the way through it and even with trainers and trainers are going, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I can see it now, I can see it now. And they're still referring to the hero as he. 
and you've <laughs> never told them that the hero's a man. So even when they think they realise, they're still applying the prejudice. It's astonishing, but it's a way of getting people to go, look, we all do it. So, you know, that's why you're here. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you know what? Listening to that, it reminded me of an exercise I went through when I was um, going to put myself through a, a development programme with an exceptional, really exceptional coach. And she was talking to us about prejudice. And she just asked a simple, straightforward question. Who in this room feels they are prejudiced and have prejudices? And of course, all of us are, are super keen, you know, learners to really stretch ourselves as coaching. And probably, I, I I'm trying to remember the size of the room. I'd say there's about eight of us there. And I think six of us probably put a hand and said, no, no, we're just not prejudiced at all. <laughs> and then all she did, a very simple exercise. She just mentioned, I won't say what TV program it was, but she mentioned a TV program. <laughs> and of course, instantly, the whole group going, oh my God, that. that. <laughs> and then suddenly we all stopped in our tracks and went, oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I really like your exercise there. Yeah, exactly. And 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 this is a, there's another process of this early engagement of you know checking people in is like the 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 time you have them together as a group of, in whatever time that might be. And obviously in the the virtual world, a lot of us are in now is often shorter. You yeah. don't want to have to deal with those things there almost. You want to have engaged them so that they arrive fully motivated, fully open and aware of what their own needs and motivations are so they can throw themselves at at, at the learning that is sort of artfully facilitated by a, yeah. a learning expert rather than an instructional trainer. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where you get retention from, which that's is why, Rod, you can still, to this day... <laughs> sing that song <laughs> which I'm not going to do because I haven't had a chin <laughs> we should have recorded this at a later stage yes. we? So maybe Rod if I can bring this to a close if you were to if you were to share your number one tip around engaging learners so that the learning that they are going through genuinely sticks and is retained in the long term a bit like your experience from back from school days what would be your your number one piece of advice oh it's, it's hard to keep it to one piece of advice but my advice would be make your learning extraordinary and connecting to the audience so it's got to be peculiar and extraordinary and emotional but it has to connect absolutely and that connection isn't just in the moment, in a group, in a workshop, it can almost certainly needs to happen early on. Absolutely, and, and afterwards, because you want people to go away inspired to make that change. You want them to be, you want to have that motivation. You want to keep that momentum going as well after any workshop to get them to implement the changes. Yeah, the journey doesn't end when they jump off the Zoom doesn't. or they or they walk out of that room at all. Absolutely. Brilliant. Rod, it has been such a pleasure to chat to you and thank you so much for sharing your uh, your expertise and experience and also a bit of history from, <laughs> from <laughs> well, of a really good example of retained learning. Um, so just for our listeners' benefit, how can they connect with you and find out more about the Trainers Library and, and yourself if they would like to? Okay, so I'm on LinkedIn, so Rod Webb on LinkedIn, but also if you just go to www.trainerslibrary.com, you'll find Trainers Library and obviously my blog and all about us there as well. So, Brilliant. Thank you, thank you so much for that, Rod. That will also be included in the show notes as well. Um, if you'd like to find out more about myself and GiraffePad, you can also find us at www.giraffepad.com and Mark Williams on LinkedIn. Um, and if you want to message me with any suggestions for aspects of making learning sticky that you'd like to hear about, uh, more than happy to, to include those in future episodes. Uh, but that's it from today. Bye for now. <laughs>